0: Well, good morning, Lakeview Church. One of the things that I have just always loved and appreciated about the church is that it really just is a family away from family, especially for those of us who don't have family in this area. Uh, Just growing up, it's always been my family away from family. And I just really appreciate that, especially in this season right now. Um, Just the way that you guys have come around, Amos and I, as we are counting down the weeks until our little baby girl arrives. And just kind of a sign that you guys really are our family is just the way that you guys are continually asking, how are you? Just asking me, like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And I I just appreciate that so much. But I thought I should maybe let you in on a little secret as well. Uh, Next time you're asking me how I am doing, which by all means, please do, you might also want to ask, how's Amos doing? (laughs) Here's why. Um, A few weeks ago, I, I told Amos, you know, let's put carpet upstairs, make that into the guest room. We'll have to clean everything out. Um, do you think the bed downstairs will fit up the stairs? So that can be the guest room, and then the downstairs room can be the nursery, which I'll probably want to paint. I know we'll need to also finish up staining the windows in there. And um, we have this new deck out front, but make sure we gotta get the railings on there. Uh, it really would be nice if the windows were done before May. and you guys get the picture. So you might want to check on Amos because he has a a few house projects going on. Okay, more than a few. Um, So check on Amos and just say, how are you doing, Amos? But fortunately, and to kind of be fair, having a long list of house projects isn't really new for us. We live in a little bit older house and as some of you know, that comes with a lot of house projects. So even when we were just married, there were lots of things to do, because that's just what happens with an older house. And not too long after we got married, there was one particular project that was, I'll say, uh, concerning that we had to address pretty quickly. So I was putting away some laundry in our little like linen closet in the hallway, and it was kind of a icky looking closet, but it, it was a closet and it, it worked. And so, so I was putting some stuff away in there and I saw these little bugs. So of course my first response was to close the door and say, I'll figure it out when Amos gets home. Um, and so I did. When Amos came back, I said, hey, I need you to look at something. I knew he would know what to do. And so, so he walks over, and he looks in there. Now, mind you, Amos worked for a pest control company when he was younger, so he's got a good, like, kind of working knowledge of bugs and pests and whatnot. And so he goes and uh, opens up the closet and looks at these little bugs in there, and I saw just kind of some little fluttery-type mothy-fly things. And Amos looks, and he doesn't say anything for a second kind of purses his lips. And even though we hadn't been married very long, I knew this was not good. See, what to me were these little fluttery fly type things, some of them dead, some of them alive, Amos recognized as a sign of termites. So Amos began the process of what would be multiple projects including pulling out that closet because at that point I'm like I'm done we're not keeping this closet so he redoes the closet redoes another closet in the room that was connect or in the house that was connected to it he crawls under the crawl space finds some floor joists that are all eaten out so he starts replacing those and and so begins our journey places the little traps around the house and whatever that he can monitor and put bait in. I mean, you get the picture. Now, if any of you have ever dealt with termites before or mold or water damage or any of those kinds of things, you know that it's crucial to address the issue as soon as you notice it. Why? could get worse... And it's probably been going on long before you saw it. Even if you haven't ever dealt with that yourself and be grateful, just watch HGTV. (laughs) When they're doing a remodel and they open up a wall and they find one of those things, termites or mold or whatever it is, automatically you know that the cost is gonna go up, the timeline's gonna go out the window and it causes huge issues. See, unseen dangers left unaddressed can cause unimaginable damage. Unseen dangers left unaddressed can cause unimaginable damage over the last month, we've been kind of walking through James and looking at these different uh, issues that have to do with how we relate to others. James is writing to church people. And as we've been looking at this series, Relationship Rules, we've been looking at each of these different issues. In the passage that was just read for us earlier, he addresses an issue that if left unaddressed... Could cause unimaginable damage in our relationships with others, and it 's this issue of greed, and this is by no means the only hidden danger that could damage relationship i mean there's there's a whole slew of kind of hidden Things, hidden sins, hidden attitudes that, that can affect our relationships with others. But for some reason, this one in particular, James chose to address. And it's these hidden dangers, including in this particular case, greed, that just, they often start out small. And they go unnoticed for a long time. Like a single termite don't notice right away. Kind of like just taking that last brownie without asking the person behind you or cutting it in half. I mean, it's it's a small thing. It's It's a really small thing. It really doesn't matter. But it's those Small, pesky little things that kind of start to, over time, develop these pathways in our minds. And if we allow those to continue, pretty soon we're facing something much bigger and sinister. It's kind of like, for those of you who are Lord of the Rings fans, kind of the progression that we see with Gollum. See, he starts out as, anyone know his name? Smeagol. He starts out as a person. And, and he finds this ring and he's, he's just kind of interested in it. Maybe more than interested in it. He's, he's intrigued and fascinated with this ring that he finds. But over time, he's he's kind of a little more attached to it kind of oddly so to the point where he becomes obsessed with it and what happens is the longer he spends sitting in his greed with this ring it completely changes who he is and he completely is is totally unrecognizable and becomes gollum this this thing that almost doesn't resemble the man he was before. See, things like greed have a tendency to kind of take up root in our hearts. And because no one can see it at first, it just kind of sits under the surface, begins to fester and spread to the point that by the time we realize that it's there, it can be this this massive issue that seemingly has no fix. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I was kind of thinking, how many of us actually deal with greed? Right? Like, maybe you're thinking that. Like, I don't, I don't actually struggle with greed. Like, I'm a pretty generous person. But here's the thing. If... James thought that this was just an issue for rich people. Why did he include it in the book of James? Like maybe he would have just written James 2.0, the second gold bound edition, which was specifically for the rich people, right? And that just had issues in it that just pertained to the people who had a lot of money. But he didn't. He wrote this in just in the mix of everything else he was talking to the church about. And so it seems that for some reason, this issue of greed actually applies to everyone and actually teaches something to all of us. See, I think greed has these these issues under the surface, that even if greed itself is not the thorn on your side, there are some underlying causes of greed that I think we do all struggle with. So, why is greed such an issue for the believer? for the person who professes that they follow Jesus. I mean, we know it's not a good character trait. Even people who don't come to church know that greed is just, it's not a good thing. Like, think about people in in movies that we've seen and, and stories that we hear. People like King Midas and Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka and Jafar in Aladdin. I mean, we can see those just, just in culture and we can see it's not a good thing. Like, generally, greed is not portrayed as a good trait. Even people who don't come to church know that. But why is it such an issue for the person who follows Jesus? I think there's two things that come to the surface in what James is writing here. Two issues that are kind of hidden underneath greed, that are brought to light as James writes about greed. The first is a misplaced trust, and the second is how our possessions have led us to treat others. So the first issue, this issue of misplaced trust. If you have your Bibles with me and you wanna follow along, look again at what James wrote in chapter five, verses two through three. He says, your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth that you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. See, beneath the surface, what greed actually reveals is an issue of trust. The greedy heart says, if I just had more money then I would be okay, life would be good, I would be better. Or I need more whatever in order to survive. Without my whatever, I'd be nothing. See, that's what the greedy heart says. The greedy heart thinks that things and money and possessions bring satisfaction and security. And it says that those things in life are more reliable than anything else. The problem is they aren't. All of those things will fail. See, if your house is built on a foundation that has floor joists underneath it that have been eaten out by termites, on the surface you might think life is good. But when you crawl under the house and you see that corroded out, you realize you're in trouble. See, and that's what James is saying here. He says wealth disappears. Things don't last. Clothes wear out. Gold, silver, money, they lose value. Nothing on this earth lasts forever. The only thing that will persist is God. But greed causes us to lose sight of God. And anything that pulls our focus away from God and onto something else is detrimental. See, James is warning the church here, especially, but not only, those who are rich. Look, don't let your money be your source of security. Only God can be that. Only he can be our trust and our firm foundation. Everything else is dangerous and unstable, even if you don't see it on the surface. Because every time we think about those things lasting, we'll be disappointed. But even the person who isn't rich can struggle with this. Because every time you think, you're tempted to think that money will solve your problems, even if you don't have a lot of money, that's an issue of trust. And your focus has been pulled off of God. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money, but if I did, my life would be better. That's an issue of trust. Being greedy doesn't mean that you necessarily have more. It means that you are wanting more. So maybe we actually do struggle with this issue of greed more than we'd like to admit. Because wanting anything more than we want God is putting us on dangerous territory. But then there's this second issue, this issue of how our possessions, how our things, or lack thereof, have led us to treat those around us. Now, there's a Netflix show right now. Some of you are frequent Netflix users like myself. And um, you would see some of the top charts on there. There's one particular that is number one right now on Netflix, and it... It depicts kind of the story of this fascinating journey of greed and deception, doing whatever it takes to get to the top. It it tells the true story of a young woman named Anna Delvey, who for years lived lavishly Like, she didn't want for anything. She had incredibly expensive taste, wanted the finest of everything, clothes, travel, hotels, foods, like, you name it. And if you just read about her story, you can read about her story just by Googling her name, you would be almost sickened, I think, by the amount of money that she spent in a single day let alone just the course of these years that she lived this lifestyle. But the thing is, she didn't have any money, and so she had to use the people around her to get what she wanted. And she actually used the people around her as kind of a a stepladder to get to where she wanted and to live this lavish, expensive lifestyle. But that left her feeling incredibly lonely. She had very, very few, if any, real friends because she used them. She was greedy. She used them to get to where she wanted to go. Her greed caused her to use the people around her. See, greed, it causes us to to lose sight of God, but it also causes us to lose sight of others. Take a look at what James says in verse 4. He says, Hear the cries of the field workers, whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. See, the rich people here, they don't care about these people that they've hired to work for them. See, it almost feels like James is saying, do you hear that? Like, hear the cries, because the rich people are just like, they're not listening, They don't even pay attention. They don't care. And so the people are just crying out. And the only people that hear are the Lord of Heaven's armies. And so James is saying, listen over here. They're crying out. Don't you care? Don't you know what you're doing is wrong? See, and this cannot happen in the church. Because the Christian life is deeply rooted in community. That's that's part of what it means to be a Christian. That's the example that Christ set for us. That's why so often in the Bible we read about what life is like in community, because you can't be a Christian and not be in community. God has called us to love others. The Bible says that people will know we are Christians by our love. The Bible says that God is love, and anyone who lives in love lives in God. We're called to live in love towards those around us and greed keeps us from being able to do that. Greed pulls our focus off of others and onto ourselves. That's not love. Now again, you might say, well Jessica, I don't actually have a lot. I'm actually pretty near close to being poor like I'm I'm pretty good if I am making it day to day week to week so this isn't really an issue for me so I might as well just go and head to Texas Roadhouse early not that I can afford it I can eat the free rolls but I don't I don't struggle with greed but don't you have more than money Like, money isn't the only thing that we have in life. We have time. We have gifts and talents. We have attention. We have just presence, the ability to be with people. And we can be just as greedy with those things as we are with our physical things. Unwilling to share those things with the people around us. But not only that, both having much and having little can cause negative attitudes to arise in our hearts if we aren't careful. See, where greed causes us to think, I'm better because I have more, and, and people will like me better if I have more, they don't matter because they don't have as much or they do matter because they have more to offer me while greed causes those kinds of attitudes the void of material riches can harbor just as destructive thoughts in our hearts things like well they 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 just they just have more and and they think they're all that they only have influence because they have money. People only like them because of their money. And these thoughts build resentment in our hearts towards others. Even if we don't have that. See, neither end of this spectrum is healthy for the community. Neither one of these is what God intended, but both of them are fueled by greed. See, when you open up the walls of greed hidden deep in the heart, when you pull back those floorboards of the greedy soul, you'll find this sinister and invasive problem that we must address That's why James is writing about this, because the core of greed is a direct affront to the greatest commandments that God gave us, to love God and to love others. The core of greed is a direct affront to those, and greed causes us to lose sight of God and to lose sight of others. I mean, you're starting to see why James seems to think this is a pretty big deal. Why James thought, hmm, maybe we should include this in the letter to the church. I think it applies to everybody. Even the slightest hint of greed. Even the the single little termite fly thing needs to be addressed quickly. So then the question, because it's easy to sit here and say, don't be greedy. The question is, okay, so what do we do? How, how do we address greed? If it's such a big deal, how, how do we fix it? I'll give you three things. Number one is regular inspection. If you know that your house has termite problems or, or mold or water or whatever, your, your uh, crawl space or your basement tends to be damp, what are you going to do? You're going to check it out regularly, right? Like if you know you have a tendency for an issue, you're going to regularly inspect it so that at the first sign of it, you can address it quickly. In this case, regular inspection of the heart can help us combat even the slightest sign of greed. So how do you inspect the heart? Well, that's a great question. You ask the heart questions. That's what the writer of Psalm 139 meant when they wrote, Search me and know my heart, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the psalmist asking the Holy Spirit to inspect his heart. Inviting the Spirit to inspect his heart. It's, it's a heart inspection. And if you aren't sure what kinds of questions to ask your heart Jot down a couple of these examples. Instead of just saying like, hey, am I greedy? Maybe ask yourself instead, which do I trust more? God or the blessings he has given me? Or another good heart inspection question. Have I mistreated anyone around me in order to experience more wealth? Or just more? More power, more fame, popularity? Am I aiming for material security more than I'm aiming for God? Have I harbored a resentment towards those who have more than me? See, these are heart inspection questions. And it can be helpful to maybe journal these on a regular basis. But it can also be incredibly helpful just to talk through these questions with other people. That's why here at Lakeview, we encourage people to be a part of small group. Because in a small group, you have a safe space to be able to ask these kinds of regular inspection questions, among other things. And we believe that being in a Christian community is incredibly valuable because it's where you can ask people, hey, ask me how my heart's doing. Ask me these questions, not in a way that I can dodge but in a way that actually helps me remedy those things that that hide under the surface. So what do we do about greed? Number one, regular inspection. Number two, reorient ourselves toward generosity. See, if greed is the great unseen pest of the heart, generosity is the great exterminator of greed. Live generously. I mean, you hear us talk about this all the time because God is a good and generous God. And so he wants us to share that goodness, to share his goodness with others. See, having isn't the issue. Hoarding is the issue. Having and experiencing God's blessings, the things that he's chosen to pour out on us, that's not the issue. It's hoarding those things, keeping them to ourselves. Greed, that's the issue. And if we've been blessed in any way, it's so that we can be a blessing to others. So find a way to live generously. Find a way to be generous with what God has given you. Rearrange your schedule so that you can be generous with your time and serve on our dream team. Consider giving financially above and beyond what you're currently giving. Ask yourself, what do I have? Like, what is in my possession that I can give? And this applies to the oldest person in the room and the youngest person in the room because we all have something. Ask God, what do I have that I can give and then take it a step further and say, God, give me an opportunity to give that. Live generously. Number three, refocus. Now, this is a pretty obvious thing And I can see many of you who have this same issue in the room. It's literally right in front of my face, right in front of your faces as well. It's these things called glasses. Several of you have them. Even if you don't have glasses, maybe you have contacts. Now, in order for these to work well, how they're meant to, I need to go to the eye doctor and I need to have a regular practice of refocusing, right? You know what I'm talking about. They, they have you go in this dark room, and they, they have you look at this chart, and then they put these, these uh, big binocular-type things in front of your eyes, and they put a series of lenses over, and they say, one or two, right? And they say, which one's clearer? And they have you look at the chart, one or two. And you say, One. Two, one, and then you just kind of go through this process and what they're doing is they're kind of refocusing your eyes so that they can figure out what combination is best so that when you put these glasses on your face, you can see. And they're figuring out the best combination of lenses so that you can focus clearly. We all need spiritual refocusing, too. I mean, our eyes need that regularly. Why wouldn't our souls, our hearts need spiritual refocusing? That's part of the reason that we gather like this on a Sunday morning to worship, is because it's a way that we can spiritually refocus ourselves from week to week. It's the same with daily scripture reading. We don't read the Bible just to check off the box and say we did it. We read scripture so that we can daily refocus ourselves on what it is God is asking us to do. See, refocusing helps us combat greed in our hearts because it returns our focus to God and to others. Another way that we can refocus ourselves on both God and others is through something that we call communion gathering at the table. It refocuses us on God instead of ourselves because we pause to remember what he did on the cross for us. And that focuses us in on God, not ourselves. It redraws our attention to God. And because we observe communion in community with others, it it Forces us to look at others. It refocuses us, reminding us that God died for others, that He loved. He loves these others that we're sitting next to. See, I won't say that it's impossible to practice communion with greed hiding in your heart. But the act of communion is just one of many ways that kind of helps expose hidden greed and and the issues that kind of hide under the surface, this issue of trust and this issue of how we treat others. And so today, as we close out the service, we're going to practice this act of communion together. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the God of blessings You are the God of generosity, of goodness. And yet, somehow, we have taken those things and transformed them into greed. We've trusted in the things that you've given us more than we've trusted in you. We've lost focus of others because these things that you've blessed us with have blinded us. So Father, I pray that you would refocus us. Help us to recognize the giver more than the gift, and those around us as the blessing that they are. Father, would you help our hearts to never be so full, to never be so rich that we don't have room for you and others. Forgive us and open our eyes to the things that are hiding under the surface so that we can live more fully the way that you intended us, to love you and to love others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.